words. Here we are again. Another opportunity to geek out about our favorite game. It's uh, another episode of Swing Thoughts, the golf podcast that uh, we're a little different than most. You know, we're not going to... I'm going to talk about your grip or what your left knee is doing as your right shoulder. Are you externally rotated? We don't listen. We care. We just don't. We, we just don't care that much. Tim O'Connor is a golf uh, mental performance uh, coach and coach of the Guelph Griffins. It's almost university time again. When do you start? Wow, our tryouts are Labor Day weekend. So yeah, next weekend. Well, later in the show, I want to ask you about that because uh, I can't remember if COVID did anything. You guys didn't have a season last year, did you? No, no, no tournaments, but we had a development season. We practiced Mondays and Fridays and we had a great, it was, the kids really enjoyed it. Fantastic. Um, Because I played this summer with one of the kids that you used to coach or had, did he, did that kid I played in the club championship, did he play on your team? Wes? Wes Gill? Um, No, he didn't. Um, He, no, he was going to come out, but he's determined that um, he's got too much on his plate school-wise. He's an engineer and a part-time job and stuff. So Because he's a monster, that kid. I know, uh, I know. I think he Walmarted you times, right? <laughs> many times. Uh, my name's Humble Howard from the Humble and Fred Show, Golf Spiritual Leader. That's right. Uh, and, of course, every week we want to thank our sponsors, Jonathan Wong Apparel. Look at you. Resplendent. And Tim, I don't know if people realize that Tim loves uh, shoes, and we've got a couple of pairs of Royal Albatross golf shoes. You can look them up at jwapparelinc.com. And uh, I'm not used to wearing the fancy shoes. Like, I just sort of... Like, I was wearing them yesterday, and I felt a little self-conscious. I'm like, do people realize how good this makes me look? You know what? So, I went to... I wore my black shoes, my black Royal Albatross, Within five minutes, three comments. Wow. Two complimentary. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, uh, our title sponsor, Taylor Made Golf. First, they changed the shape of the driver, now changing the way that drivers are constructed. You know, I was watching some of the uh, FedEx Cup playoffs yesterday, the BMW Championships, and it's just kind of cool when you see the sim head covers. Morikawa, McElroy, and so forth. And I go, I got the same head cover. I got that. It's just like him. TaylorMadeGolf.ca is where you go to learn more. Uh, We weren't there because Timmy and I were uh, busy, but apparently TaylorMade, not apparently, they've uh, um, started the, the 2022 790s have been revealed, and people are freaking out about them. They're uh, fantastic. Go check it out. At TaylorMadeGolf.ca. Okay, Sam's waited long enough. He is a um, an author, a um, golf coach, former uh, professional, tried to play tournament golf, and like a lot of people, found that golf nirvana didn't lie in how many balls you can hit and how much... You know, how much you could work on your swing and, and, and change courses. He's um, a... Uh, Go to Sam Jarman Golf, by the way, if you want to find out more. He's the author of Three Principles of Outstanding Golf. And um, book two is Take Relief. Sam Jarman, welcome to the show. Good morning, guys. Pleased to be here. Good to see you, Sam. Um, You know, it was Carl Morris who said, you got to talk to this guy. And uh, just 
Carl's a friend of the show and, and, and a mentor to me. And so I took him up on that and I read your book, The Three Principles, and I just related big time because I think like a lot of our listeners and particularly Howard and I, your path similar to ours. Because we thought that we had to, you know, get the perfect golf swing, get the elbow right where it needed to be and all that. So why don't you just take us through a bit of your journey around how you went from where you used to be to where you are now? Um, firstly, thank you for, for buying the book and, and thank you, Carl, for uh, for the introduction. Um, so I, I, like a lot of kids, played a lot of sports at school and then... Um, I remember watching Seve Ballesteros win the Open at St Andrews in 1984, so I'd have been about 13, 12 or 13. Um, thought, oh, I'd like to have a go at that and started chipping some balls around my, my back garden. Um, just fell in love with the game, really, and within a couple of years, I'd, I'd kind of f- finished doing the other sports and, and focused solely on golf. Um, got quite good quite quickly, um, but with quite an unconventional swing, um, had a very good short game. And um, then had some success. So started to play in some tournaments as an amateur. Um, had a reasonably successful amateur career and then, and then turned pro and started playing mini tour events and quickly found out that it was going to be a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> um, so, yeah, then um, sort of the, the playing, the playing it, it became clear that I wasn't going to get to where I I wanted to get to as a player, so started coaching, um, did my three-year PGA training over here in the UK, and then I always realised that when I was playing that it was the mental side of the game that really was the the, the differentiation between the guys that were good, you know, like I was, you know, I was a reasonably good player, and then the guys that were really, really good, and... I found the same thing when I was teaching. I could get somebody swinging it great. I could get somebody hitting it great in the studio or on the range. Um, but then they'd go into a monthly medal or into a, a, a board competition and, and, and shoot millions. And what was the reason for the, do you think, for why they would shoot the millions? Was it the, 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 the intense concentration on trying to get their mechanics right and always constantly chasing after the latest tip? What was it? Um, I think I think it's a variety of reasons, but the biggest one is because the way that we learn golf and the way that we practice is not the same as playing the game. They're two they're two different things, and unfortunately, we you know the the, the golf instruction industry um, is it, its foundations are based in the idea that if you have the perfect golf swing and the perfect putting stroke, you'll go out and and play to your potential all the time. And you've only got to look at the best players in the world to know that that's not true. You know, the best players in the world have days where they play great and days where they don't know where it's going. Um, so this idea that we can we can almost take the human element out of golf and become sort of golfing robots, which is what a lot of the golf instruction that I see going on Um you know, people spend an inordinate amount of time, like you say, trying to get the perfect backswing or the perfect position at the top or, um, you know, just working on stuff that at the end of the day is is lovely to have. But when you get out on the golf course, it's a lot harder to do that if you're actually thinking about what you're trying to do rather than thinking about where you want the ball to go. Sam Jarman, if I could just jump in and just tell you, I uh, everything you just said 
You know, I think we should, I would record it and just play it over and over for people because it's exactly what we, what we think. But I want to just talk to you about one thing I've been thinking a lot of lately because you said the golf instruction industry. You know, my father was a decent player, but one of the things my dad sort of bequeathed to me, for better or worse, was a love of learning about the golf swing. My dad's had a little store, and I just remember him reading Golf Digest, and I've said this to Tim, you know, the cover of the 1971 Golf Digest was How to Cure Your Slice. It's also the cover of the 2021 Golf Slice, you know. Like if, if well, that we tells you something. No, it? I know. I used, I used to think if we, if we golfers had put any, if we had put the same energy into curing our slice as we did to I don't know, curing lupus. Um, Anyway, but what I want to say is I think we're all, we have all, and even you, because we get caught up in golf instruction, but it's, it's not golf instruction. It's swing instruction. There's no golf instruction in golf digest. Really? There's just how to make better golf swings, comma, as a pathway to better golf. Yeah. Now I haven't read your book, but I've seen here on the site and and I've, I've absorbed a little bit. And again, if you're a friend of Morris, you're a friend of ours. So why is it that golf instruction isn't about the game of golf? Why is it about the game of swing? Because golf instructors can make a very good living giving one-hour golf lessons on a driving range, one after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other. Yes. It's the same reason that ski instructors teach people to snowplow rather than actually teach them how to get how to ski how to navigate the course yeah no because people because what you can do when you've taught somebody to snowplow you can have a little train of people following you down the mountain and you can charge people more money for you know or you can get eight people in a group and you can make more money per hour than you can by giving individual lessons where you'd have to charge your own time out for the individual at a couple of hundred euros or a couple of hundred dollars or whatever it is and it's the same with golf with with golf instruction you know there's there, there aren't many people um, you know, who go for a golf lesson and would be prepared to stump up whatever the pro needs to make to go out on the golf course. I mean, there, people do do playing lessons, but it's a, for most instructions, for most instructors, that's a small part of what they do. Yeah. And there's also the com- complications if you're at a public course, you know, you've got a certain number of tee times available. You're in, you're, you, you know, your, your facility might not want to allocate you certain times on the course because that's costing them money in terms of, of tea, tea box revenue there's a lot of different reasons why the golf instruction you know indoor indoor teaching in your part of the world you know you can't get on a golf course for six months but you can have a track man in a studio or a, a, a um, gc2 and carry on doing your golf lessons through through the winter so the the golf instruction model is is it, it has it has veered off into, you know, go, look, golf pros have got to make a living. I've done that. I've been on a driving range eight hours a day giving golf lessons. It's 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 a way to make a living, but it's not great for learning how to play golf. It's good for learning how to to you know learning about the golf swing, but in terms of playing golf, you need to get out on a golf course with an instructor and learn how to play the game as mm-hmm. opposed to how to swing the club. Yeah, I totally That's agree. That's what I see. Yep. And, and look, I'm not knocking any any golf instructors or any golf professionals because, as I say, I've been, I've been there and done that. But and, and to be honestly, most of the golf instructors I know don't actually enjoy the grind of one half-hour lesson after another half-hour lesson after another half-hour lesson. But 
you know, they've maybe got to pay the facility that they're there a, a bay fee for being there. So that's how you that's how you make a living. That's how you pay the mortgage. And unfortunately, that's that, that's the model that the, that the industry seems to be following. So, Sam, rather than that, then rather than, st- you know, people trying to perfect some kind of move, hit certain positions. And it's a big question, but what would their attention be better focused on? Just playing. Just get out there and play. You know, the the more you can get out on a golf course and play, even if it's just nine holes, you know, I'd, I'd much, I think people would be much more, they'd enjoy the game a lot more and they'd actually learn a lot faster if they went and played nine holes rather than going to the driving range. Now, I so, know- I'm gonna, so Sam, I'm just going to interject right there because I know a lot of our listeners would go, yeah, uh, that sounds good, but if I'm topping shot after shot and I'm hitting one left, I'm hitting one right, how do I get better? By playing. But the, the, that's the thing. The more you go to the driving range and the more you, you get into your own head about um, – how you're trying to swing the golf club. So let's look at how we got into that situation in the first place. When you learn to play golf, most kids don't learn to play golf on a driving range. They might have a few lessons, but then they get out on the golf course with their mates and they go play. That's how I learned to play. And and during the summer holidays, I was playing, you know, 36 holes, sometimes 54 holes a day, just playing, just learning how to get the ball around the golf course. Now, in an ideal world, I would have had both. I would have had a little bit of swing instruction because my golf swing wasn't great when I was, you know, when I was a teenager. But I knew how to get the ball around a golf course. But when I did start to do some work on my swing, and I probably did did too much work on my swing, I, you know, I over I overcompensated in a lot of ways. When I did start to really understand the golf swing, I still had that capacity of getting the ball around the golf course, whether I was swinging it great or whether I wasn't swinging it great. And that helped, helped me in really good stead. Um, so I, I just think that this idea that if you spend hours and hours and hours on the driving range and trying to perfect your golf swing, you'll stop hitting the bad shots. You know, you can stop hitting the bad shots by getting out on the golf course and doing yeah. it too and focusing on where you want to hit the ball rather than how you want to hit the ball because your body will learn to do it. Um, you know, there's uh, there's something on your site here that I really love and it's the paragraph where you say, you know, golf is hard. I think we can all agree that we're all looking for something similar when we play a rich, enjoyable, fulfilling, satisfying experience. And then you go on to talk about that. I'd like you to talk a little bit about that now, if you will, which is, you know, one of the reasons we started this show six years ago is that I think we represented a lot of frustrated golfers that seem to, you know, um, our, our moods and our mode of, of enjoyment were as mercurial as our golf swings. And every day was an up and down. You know, if I played well, I was happy. If I didn't play well, I was unhappy. And as Tim and anyone listening has heard me, I was the worst anyone has ever met. The worst powder, the worst suck, the worst bad guy to play with. Um, I'm a, a really good golfer that only enjoyed golf when I played really well, which, as we all beat know, this car, beat, Sam. Oh, it's a, go, go listen to this show, Sam. I, I, like, the stories you wouldn't even believe, I you know, but, and. And I wasn't very happy doing it. And yet, yet, if you saw me swing a golf club, you'd think, well, that, that guy should be, as you said, highly skilled players then should be the happiest golfers there are. Tournament players should never be anything but ecstatic. So the vagaries of the game, 
uh, is what we're talking about. And I'm really curious about your philosophy around that because, you know, we can talk strategy and we can talk swing, but what is it that can help golfers listening become happier playing this game? I think the first thing to do is to understand that it goes way beyond golf. So unfortunately, the culture that we're, that we're, that we're most of us are brought up in, the, the, the Western culture, the society that we're brought up in, has told us that our happiness is dependent upon attainment, achievement, and the accumulation of material possessions. That's what we're told. So from the moment we can communicate, we are, you know, we're told you have to, you have to get these exam results at school. You then have to go to this university, then you'll be happy. If you're a golfer, you have to get on this golf team and then you'll be happy. You have to get your handicap down to this and then you'll be happy. If you're, if you're not a golfer, it's, you know, you'll be happy when you get the right car or the right house or the right relationship. So it's not just golf. And, and this is the thing that I've sort of seen most clearly since I stopped playing professionally was I was trying to fix my life by trying to fix my golf. And you can't do that. You have to take everything as, as a whole. It's all one thing. There's only one thing going on. And, you know, if I ask when I, when I go and because I, I do some work, I don't just work with golfers. I work with lots of other different sports. I do some work with businesses. I do some work with, with schools. And if I go and ask, say, a group of, you know, professional rugby players or cricketers, when were you happiest? What do you think they say? When they won a championship. Nope. I know. It's when they were kids playing the game. Beautiful. Number one answer. When were you uh, happiest? I, I was wrong. happiest when I was a kid. Happiest so when I was a kid. my follow-up question is, well, what had you achieved? What skills did you have? How much money had you got in the bank? What was your relationship like? What sort of car did you drive at that point? And what people start to see is that, that happiness is their true nature. When, when we've got nothing else going on, when we're not seeking something or resisting something, that's happiness. That's, that's, our, that's the baseline. And what we then do through, our, through our, our cultural conditioning and our societal conditioning, we gradually start to place conditions on our own happiness. And that's what we do with golf. So you start off by saying, right, the, you know, you, you first pick up a golf club and it's right. You have a few swings and you hit a few P-rollers and then it's right, right, I, I want to hit the ball in the air. So then you hit a few in the air and this is great. Now I'm hitting it in the air. Okay, so now I want to hit it in the air, but I want to hit it a bit further. And then you start hitting it a bit further and it's like, right now I want to control my ball. And then it becomes, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's a completely natural thing to, you know, to, to want to excel and to want to express yourself. But if you make if you start to attach your value as a human being to that and, and, and make your happiness dependent on that, rather than seeing the, you know, enjoying the challenge of it, which is what we do when we're learning, you know, we don't just enjoy playing well. We actually enjoy, you know, the struggle, not the struggle, but we enjoy the process of improving and the process of learning. There, there's a great, you know, we've all had that aha moment where something just clicks in our swing and it's like, ah, now I get it. Like 30 seconds ago, I didn't get it. Now I get it. <laughs> That's right. That's one of the yep. most rewarding experiences in golf. But we, we, you know, when we just make our happiness dependent on the numbers we write down on the scorecard or whether we're hitting that perfect little high draw, we, we, we limit ourselves. Sure. 
and and we 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 put ourselves under pressure because when golf isn't like that we make ourselves miserable and then we end up making the people around us miserable sam if i may interject it's almost like we put a we we, it's like we put restrictions on our happiness we put roadblocks we put these um moments that as you say i'll be happy when and and everyone who plays golf uh, looks at everyone else and plays golf and thinks, if I could only shoot that number, if I could only be that person. But back to, exactly. you know, when you were talking about about the idea of true joy in the game or any game comes when you're a kid. You know, I grew up on a golf course in Western Canada. I, I never had a driving range growing up. There wasn't even, in fact, it, there wasn't even a net for people to hit in. I just didn't, I didn't, and I worked at that golf course cleaning clubs. And as you said, I played 36 holes a day through most of my childhood without ever having warmed up. And then, you know, as an adult, you're like, I got to get to the range two hours before the match and I have to discover my golf swing. And every day, and I spent years doing this, every day I'd go to the golf course hoping that my draw would be there when I showed up. You know, and as I used to joke to myself, I guess I left my hydra on the trunk because it isn't here on the range. And again, it's golf is the culture of I'll be happy if I can only be better than I am now. I think if you had gone to the driving range before to discover your golf swing, you'd have been fine. But unfortunately, what we do, we go to the driving range before we play with an idea of what should be happening. So I had, you know, we've all done the thing where we play great one day and we have a really nice feeling and we think, right, that's it. I've got it. I've got, you know, the, the, I've got the thought. I've got the feeling that means I'm never going to play badly again. And then you go and hit the first few balls on the range the next day and it's like, shit. What? Yeah. <laughs> where is it? Where it's it gone. Go? It doesn't feel the same. Yeah. And, and this is what's really instructive. If you read a lot of, um, I read Jack Nicholas's book and I've read a few other sort of of the, the older, the previous sort of generation of, of, of players. And that's what they went to the, to the range before the round to do to find out what they had with them that day. So they would go to the range and they'd just start making some swings. And if it came out and it was fading slightly, well, that's what I'm going to play with today. If they came out and they were hitting a draw, then, well, that's what I'm going to play with today. And I think that's what particularly Nicholas was great at was like he didn't, you know, he didn't suddenly start, you know, because everybody thinks Nicholas was a fader of the golf ball. But he, you know, he, he, he says he won a, a, a number of majors hitting it the other way. But what he didn't do was get down on the on the practice ground, find that it was going right to left and then panic because, oh, my God, where's my fade gone? So th- that idea of going to the range beforehand, it's, it's what we, you know, what we do is we get down there. We think we should be hitting the ball a certain way. It's not going that way. So then we start trying to work on our golf swings. And then we arrive on the first tee with six different swing thoughts and we hit it sideways. So, you, you know, if you do go to the round before you play, rather than going there with a preconceived idea or any expectations just go down there with an open mind and it's like right what have i got today mm-hmm. how am I, how am i gonna well yeah what am i because then you're not putting yourself under pressure you're there to find out rather than to to fulfill an expectation so much of what you're talking about sam makes sense like howard say we've been doing this podcast for six years now and a lot of the themes that you've been talking about we have also talked about but a lot of these themes are still counter to the culture. You know, really, I mean, people say it's you ask people what they want from golf. I want to win. I want to lower my handicap, etc. Yes. And what they want in their life. I want the promotion, the car, what, whatever. So how do 
how can golfers, what can they use, what skill can they use to start to turn this ship around so they can view their golf and perhaps other parts of their life in a different light? I mean, that's the big question. So the, the, when I start talking to, to a golfer or a group of golfers, there's three questions that we're going to end up talking about. Now, we might not get there in the first meeting, but we're talking about, we're going to be talking about, and this is not just golfers, this is anybody. We're going to be talking about three things. The three questions that humanity's been, you know, on a personal level and a universal level for thousands of years. Who am I? What is this? So what is the nature of reality? And what am I doing here? What's the purpose of life? Those are the three big questions. And what you find is most people are are searching for answers to those questions in whatever they do, whether it's golf, whether it's through their work, whether it's through their church, whether it's through formal academic education. Those are the three questions that we're, we're trying to reconcile in our minds with whatever's going on in our, our life at that particular moment. And the, the key thing, you know, there is absolutely nothing wrong with wanting to be a better golfer, wanting to get your handicap down, wanting to hit a high draw, wanting to hold more putts. The problem comes is where you start to, as I say, make your happiness dependent on those things mm-hmm. or you attach your value and your well-being as a whatever you are to those achievements Mm -hmm. that's when you're on the slippery slope so you know kids kids don't play to become happy they play when they are happy generally speaking yeah playing makes them happy exactly so it's like this is this is what we are you you know we we have to flip it around and go you you know i'm I'm happy so i'm going to go and play golf rather than i'm going to go and play golf and then if i play if i shoot this score if i hit the ball like this i'm going to be happy that will make me happy can there be a Sorry, can there Tim. be a combination of I'm playing to have fun, but my handicap is also dropping, <laughs> and I like that. I'm playing to have fun, and I and this is I'm great out being uh, being in say a competition, but I'd like to win the competition. So there is a balance, but how do we strike it? As I say, you, it's it's not. You have to take the game seriously. Otherwise, there's no point in playing. We all know we've played with people who don't take the game seriously, and that's just painful. You know, they're messing around, <laughs> basically. Well, and, 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 again, and by the way, if I may just jump in, people who say they don't take it seriously are lying. Exactly. They exactly. all want to shoot so, lower scores, Sam. That's right. Exactly. And, and, you know, and even on a personal level, pretending you don't care about golf is, yeah. it just is an empty feeling inside, and it's, it's, you know that you're just kidding yourself. So you have to take the game seriously. What really helps is when you stop taking yourself seriously. Right. And in order to understand what that means, you need to have explored that first question, which is who am I, the who am I question. Because as I say, most people believe themselves to be the main character in the story of of Sam or Howard or Tim. And obviously, if you believe yourself to be the main character in the story of sam it's pretty important that that story has a happy end (laughs) that's true (laughs) okay and that's so that's what the ego is the ego who you think you are that's what most people believe themselves to be the main character in the story of sam 
or the story of Howard. So, yeah, you want the story to have a happy ending. You want to get down to scratch. You want to win the club championship. You want to win a major. You want to win. All of that is fine. But if you believe that that's who you are, that you are something limited, finite and dependent, Mm -hmm. then there's always going to be this nagging thing in the back of your mind. Well, what if I don't make it? And that's where this feeling of pressure comes yeah, from. Yeah, because then the story, does, whatever that thing is, uh, it it has a uh, momentary, you know, unhappy ending in the movie. And then you, but you have to keep. The problem is, you know, we exactly. keep playing this same movie over and over again until we're dead. Um, exactly. Like my, I, I noticed on your Twitter feed this morning when I was looking at it that you're an Alan Watts fan, as I am, and I love this quote on your. Uh, it's uh, Alan Watts quote. I'm going to start following this Alan Watts daily, by the way, if you're into this. This is a great one. What we have to discover is that there is no safety, that seeking it is painful, and that when we imagine we have found it, we don't like it. Now, if you look at that just and think of golf in that context, and I've said this on the show, which is why I'm golf spiritual leader. I've said every golfer thinks, every golfer has this fantasy that today will be the day in a round of golf when nothing bad happens. And the problem with most golfers is as soon as something bad happens, the day is ruined for them. And I've used that uh, analogy, as Tim's heard me say it a dozen times, but I also think human beings... The reason we get stress in our lives is because we imagine today will be just this carefree butterfly, you know, chasing. And as soon as we get stuck in traffic, we're like, this is bullshit. But it's, it's almost hilarious not to expect something to go wrong. And I'll finish by saying, you know, I've learned over time now that on the first tee of every round, I'm ready to play golf. I'm ready to play this game versus waiting for the inevitable you know bad break to show up or whatever where I, I i used to kind of back i've said i used to kind of back into the game i'd be like hope hope golf doesn't know i'm here yet you know <laughs> i hope i hope i can just sneak out onto the golf course and make a couple pars before you know whereas now i show up i go okay all right golf here we go first shot what are we doing and i can tell you that i am ready to hit a bad shot on the first tee of every round i play because you know what it can happen yeah. And, and and that's what I love about that quote, that seeking safety in golf is what makes it so painful. So how do we mitigate the craving and the seeking and make it less painful for people? Um, as I say, those three questions, start exploring those three questions for yourself. Um, but I just I just want to cycle back to something because there's actually something worse than than if you like, not succeeding in in playing badly. Some of the hardest conversations that I've had with people have been with professional athletes or or even people in in other walks of life who have achieved everything that they set out to achieve. And two days after they did it, they're like, now what? Yeah. We see it constantly. You see this it. doesn't yeah. feel like how I expected it to feel, how everybody was telling me it was going to feel. You know, you, you see it with major champions, guys that have won majors. You know, Duval, I would, I would imagine, is an example. 100%. You know, Langer, when he won his Masters, was like three days later, wow, this doesn't feel as great as I thought it was going to feel. Now, that is difficult because you see it a lot with Olympians as well, who are maybe on a four-year or an eight-year cycle to achieving their dreams and they win the gold medal and then they party like hell for a day or a week or a month or whatever. And then it's like, 
Now what? And and if you say so that's that's a real crisis because if you don't achieve it, you can still hold in the back of your 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 mind's primary purpose is to deceive itself, and you can still hold on to that idea that oh, if only I'd made it, then I'd then then I'd be happy. But if you've done everything that our culture and our society tells you you should be doing in order to be happy, yeah. and then you're not, then what? And, and, you know, we see it in uh, celebrity culture a lot. You know, I was just thinking so about, it's funny you brought that up, because I was thinking about Chris Cornell of Soundgarden the other day. and, and uh, I talked know, about him yesterday with a, with, with a client. Okay, right. cool. And I was thinking about how this guy had everything. You know, he was a great singer, was an amazing, good-looking guy, probably had, you know, all the money you'd ever need, and yet... You know, same with Anthony Bourdain. You know, you get to a certain point in your life, you're thinking, well, what what could they possibly have to be? Seymour Hoffman, the, all, the, the all actor. That. The yeah. yeah. And, 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 and I think if we, you know, bring it back down to the everyday golfer and... And and I think a lot of people play golf. I know I did in in sort of a uh, a low level of quiet sort of desperate not desperation but totally. but ennui. You know, it's all it's yeah. like it's just a a, a, a a constantly and only having moments of joy. The rest of it is always just kind of a low yeah. level of seething. Well, for me, it was seething. For but a lot of people, most people's that's most yeah. people's lives, isn't it? You know, absolutely. There's there's a quote. I forget who it is. It's in most people are living lives of quiet desperation. Absolutely, that's what you I was know, referring to. That, yeah, it's that feeling of hanging on by your fingertips and and hoping that you're going to get a brief piece of respite from yes. the weekend or you know having a drink or having a you know a good round of golf or having a holiday yeah exactly whatever it is you know and this is the problem because if you believe that you're as i say your your who you are is 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 limited and finite and dependent then you are just trying to get as much as you possibly can uh, before the clock turns over and and it's and it's the end but if you if you start to explore well is that true is that who i really am am i am i the central character in my story or am i what knows that story because in order for there to be a story and a character there has to be something that knows that there has to be something that's aware of that what's that is that limited is that finite is that dependent because when you start to unpick that there are different possibilities that open up. And I think a key piece of what you're talking about is awareness. Yeah. Is what we call the, the observer or the witness. It's kind of, is, is that I am not my thoughts. Myself is not dependent on, on my salary or whether I win or not. Is that I can kind of, and I can see what's happening when I get sucked into that. Because we all do. I mean, I, you know, I've been working on awareness and bringing my my more mindfulness into my life and in my golf and yet i get sucked in every day into i suck when will i ever get this oh my gosh how come i can't do this and then i just i have to keep practicing the skill of awareness wait a sec you're caught again and then i can respond to it and so is that in some ways what you're talking about something similar kind of i mean this is this is the big this has been one of the 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 first big revelation that i had was that 
my 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 feelings weren't dependent on the situation and circumstance of my life. That was about 10, 12 years ago now. The second big one was around awareness, and it was it was it was the the fact that awareness isn't something that we do. Awareness is actually who we are. So our true nature is awareness or consciousness. And everything else, our thoughts, feelings, perceptions, and sensations arise within consciousness. And this is not something new. This is what every mainstream religion, spiritual tradition, philosophy is pointing to. This idea that who we are is not material, it's spiritual. And the moment that you start to explore that, so many possibilities start to open up for you and you can start to drop away a lot of the stuff that's been getting in the way of you really experiencing golf and life as it can be experienced. Mm-hmm. And, and, but as I say, the barriers to us making that exploration in, 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 in our society are quite strong. You know, it's seen as a bit woo and seen as a bit out there and stuff. And it's 100%. it's a shame because it's, as I say, for me, that, you, you know, and, and unfortunately for, for a lot of people, it, it's only a crisis that precipitates that, that, that moment of, you know, I'm really struggling here, what's going on? And then at that moment, you can start, rather than looking at the content of your experience and trying to fix that, you start to look in, inward and start to explore the nature of your experience, right? So how, how are these, where are these thoughts arising? How, where are these emotions? Where are these feelings arising from? Where do they go? When we start to look in that direction, we start to ask ourselves some different questions. Sam, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think a lot of people, even before the crisis point, you know, have a suspicion that there's another game to be played. We, 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 we know something else is out there, which is, and, and some of us come to it through crisis. You know, I, I had my sort of midlife crisis at age 46. I lost my job a couple of days later, a couple of months later, I should say my dad died. And then a year later I got divorced. So I had all the three heads of sort of, you know, uh, life, life things kind of slap me all at once. And I was kind of confronted with, you know, making some changes philosophically, but I always suspected and I'm talking about golf now, that there was another game that good players played that I didn't really understand. But the funny thing is, once you sort of start to get it a bit, it's hard to unsee it. It's hard. Yeah, once you sort of know that, oh, the game isn't how I swing a club. It's how I strategize and how I play and how how I am. How do I show up in, in, in the game is really the, the, is the secret sauce. Sam, I... Um, I, 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 I go ahead. I, I just gonna say, Sam. I was gonna say, but it's not. It's not like the light goes on and suddenly we're different. That's just that's the key piece I wanted to make. Like at forty six, you saw you made some changes, but uh, you're still making those changes. I'm still making. I think that's the that's sure. the thing I just wanted to throw in there. No, but I was I, just saying. I, I was responding to what you're saying about sometimes it takes a crisis for people to realize, like, oh, I. I've been kind of uh, asleep for most of my life. Um, I do want to thank you. I know this uh, it seems short because we just did 40 minutes with you. We could do two hours with you. Would you come back again soon? Of course, mate. Anytime. 
Yeah, I love these conversations. Yeah, and we so do we're too. Really happy to go to go deeper. Um, Tim, we'll get a hold of you. We'll have you back in the next month or so, so we can continue. Sam Jarman Golf. I know you people are interested because this has been fascinating. Uh, go check out his site, samjarmangolf.com. He's got a couple of great books, and I promise you, we'll be we'll be back with you soon. And we certainly appreciate it. Thank you so much for the invite, guys. Really enjoyed it. All right, there Thanks, you go. Sam. Thanks, Sam. Appreciate. Sam just let yourself out of the Zoom room. Can you hear the song I'm playing? I can. It's one of my favorite car songs. Yeah. <laughs> when I'm in my car, windows safely up so no one can see, can hear me. I love this song. And it's so interesting that you bring up Chris Cornell. Because I was working with a client yesterday, and I went, he's wearing a Chris Cornell t-shirt. Oh, cool. And... Where I went with that was I went, oh my gosh, like, this was a guy who was like, to me, like the ultimate metal singer. He could just, with he had the hair, the looks, all that stuff, you listen to the power of Black Hole Sun, even when he played acoustically, he yeah. was amazing. And you think, this guy's got it all. And yet, he also committed suicide, just... Like, well, it's, it's like that old saying, you know, everyone is struggling with something that you could have no idea about, you know, you can never imagine. Who knows what the struggles of Chris Cornell or uh, when uh, movies opened up about a month ago, Rachel and I went and saw the, uh, I think it's called Roadrunner, the Anthony Bourdain documentary. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, there's a guy that, you know, traveled the world, which you'd think would be great. But after, you know, after watching it, you realize, hey, this guy had pain in his life, just like everyone else. And. You know, he, yeah. Sam talking about the the example of uh, Bernard Longer or David Duvall winning the uh, of their first Masters, and then kind of going, "Well, okay, that's cool. Now what do I do? Because I'm no happier than I than I was, and now I don't have this thing that I'm you know I'm I'm trying to do." Yeah, exactly. So I wanted to connect to that. I remember um, when you shot your '69 at Glencairn. Uh, what was that? Four or five weeks ago. And we talked about when you drove home, it wasn't like all the cars parted so that you could go (laughs) (laughs) and the highway didn't turn to gold. Um, And I'm sure our our listeners have similar situations. They've they've craved, they've wanted to finally break 190, you know, 80, whatever, and they do it. And you drive home and and. It's like, oh, really, uh, this thing that I've wanted, I got, and now am I crazily happy? No, I still got my problems in my business, and my daughter still hasn't talked to me in two months, and um, life goes on. For sure, and, and, and I want to talk to you, um, because Sam was talking a lot about it. It's a lot of stuff that uh, that we've talked about, a lot of background, and that's why I want to have him on again. So we can, so that so <clears throat> that was a good introduction because a lot of what he said has been said on the show before, and I loved uh, the way he said it. But for for you and and I'll say to me to a lesser extent because I don't really coach people formally, but so so knowing what we know from Sam that that life isn't. You know, that life is about asking those questions and that golf asks those questions of us, too, which is why golf is such a great, you know, metaphor, analogy, whatever you have for how we live our lives. But practically, what can we take from him? Because I know you read his first book. What are some of the practical things that we can put into play 
to, to start making some of these things re- reality. Is that, I don't know if I've asked a question in there, but I think no, you, you know have, what I'm you trying have. to say. And, and I, I come back to this one a lot is, and we've talked about this innumerable times and you were the subject of, of one of these discussions was what's our intention. I think that's a very practical thing you can take into a game of golf. Is it, what's my intention for this round of golf? Uh, is it to, you know, break a scoring barrier today? Is it to reduce my handicap, sh- shoot a certain score? And as Sam discussed, um, yeah, that's, you could, you could do that, but you don't have control over it. And, and ultimately that's usually what frustrates us and puts us on an emotional roller coaster. And plus the fact we can't control score. But I can control my intention. And if I set an intention that I'm going to be a great partner today, I'm going to practice gratitude on every hole. I'm going to just say thank you to whomever you you believe in or just yourself for my ability to do this, to be out on this beautiful place, have the means, this physical health to be able to do that. Or it could just be that I'm just going to enjoy this experience, whatever works for you. That intention, if you if you put it out there, that keeps your kind of keeps you on on course, so that when you make the double bogey or a triple or whatever, you're not suddenly thrown off into anguish. I love that. So the intention keeps you keeps you back on course, and of course, but it's all, I was going to say it's like yeah. a it's like a guiding principle yeah. of the day that has nothing to do with. What just happened to your golf ball, yep. which, as we've discussed a thousand times, you really don't have much control over. I mean, okay, here it comes. Here it comes. As we say in, in the decade world, your golf, people have this idea that a golf shot is like a rifle. It's not. It's a shotgun. So if you know that, that this thing can go any number of ways, but if you're, if you're intention, and I've always loved that, that part of your philosophy, that... If your intention for the day has something to do other than is 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 reliant on something beside how you're scoring or playing or shooting, then you can kind of make it through. And that was a good sort of jumping off point for me years ago where I was like, okay, I'm going to be I'm going to be about something today other than me. Because being about me is making me really upset. <laughs> it's making yeah, me because you're very it's like you angry. Yeah, well, you have a very tight spotlight yes. on yourself, and so with everything that happens, that oh, how am I doing? And oh, why is it not going well? And just oh my god! Or as Sam said, this. like if you're if you're the if you think that you are the star of the, your movie and some some bad things happen to your hero, well, of course you're going to be pissed off because yeah, exactly. you want a happy ending, yeah. and it connects very much to what I said about you know people have this fantasy. That their daily lives should be free of challenge. It's like Sam Harris, that quote or that video I sent you. And uh, I think I've referenced on the show. It's on the Decade site. But it's the story of, of him talking to a friend and he's all pissed off. And, uh, and she said, well, did you not think that your day-to-day living would be filled with challenges forever until you die? Because it's going to be. Solving problems, and this is how it relates to golf, solving problems should be the name of the game. Not just golf, but life. So if you go to a golf course, and as I've said, if you think that nothing bad's going to happen that day, it's a bit, it's a bit of a slap in the face, laddie, when it does. Because it's going to every day. Um, I want to explore a couple uh, concepts here with Tim. One is about Tim's recent qualifier, and one is the idea that 
I never understood what it mean what it meant when people would say, "Well, that guy has a game that travels." I didn't. I, I was always jealous of that because my I knew mm-hmm. mine didn't. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that after we talk about um, your recent journey <laughs> um, in uh, in tournament golf. And it's not your you know it's not your use. You've come to it later in life, which I admire. You know, you put yourself out there. I had a conversation with uh, our friend John Finlayson yesterday, and we were he's a very, very good golfer, COO of Clublink. And we were talking about, you know, putting oneself in harm's way. And I was telling him that, you know, you had played a qualifier, and I thought it was cool that you did that. Because as he and I were saying, lots of guys that we know don't like to play tournament golf, don't even like to play golf at the club level because they're good players, but they don't want to, like... You know, they don't like to maybe have people see them shoot a high number. Yeah. And because that's, you know, that's not their vision of themselves. But you uh, and I have put ourselves in harm way, harm's way a lot because, yeah, sometimes you're gonna, your number's not going to be great. But uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your recent experience? Yeah, well, thanks. Um and just on a quick note, uh, the guy. So I played in in the Monday qualifier for the Ontario Senior Championship at Saugeen Golf Club. The guy I was playing with, nice fellow, and I hope that he listens to this podcast. Didn't have his best day. High number. He announced to me on I think the fifteenth hole he's a DNF, which is did not finish, which meant he just stopped keeping score. Why? Because he was embarrassed. I believe by his score. So I just wanted to just not let that go by. And I thought, wow, what a talk about eliminating yourself in terms of your, like that's someone who attached his identity yep. to connect to what Sam was saying well, to his golf score. You and I were talking on uh, Monday after your round. And when you told me that story, I'm like, yep, I know that guy, you know, I, well, that's I know lots. About yeah, it. I know lots of guys like that. That and that's that's back to what I said. Lots of guys don't want to put themselves in the club championship because what if they shoot a higher number than they you know than people know that they shoot? And I got a, I got a couple of friends of mine that are very fine players. One in particular is a scratch plus one handicap, but not in tournaments. Yeah. And uh, so, anyway, so you played yeah, with so that I guy. But, that was I, yeah. I just thought that was important to, to connect some dots there. So. Yeah, on Monday, I traveled up to Saugeen Golf Club, um, and it was for a qualifier for the Ontario Senior Championship. And I felt really good. My, I, I've been playing pretty well the last month. I've been playing a lot of competitive golf, um, our Club C at Blue Springs, uh, net match play, gross match play, etc. So I got up there, and I was feeling, feeling quite good and actually not a whole lot nervous, really. And got off to um, a fairly good start. I was just something like two over after, I think, five. And uh, (laughs) I get up on this par three and I go, wow, this is kind of tight here. And well, a nice little over the top pull hook left of left. And uh, I thought it was gone, but uh, we found it among uh, some shrubbery <laughs> and trees. And I thought I had a shot, hit it, tree, 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 triple bogey. Can we just stop here? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> what? <laughs> Just what do you... Let me be your coach for a second. What do you mean you thought you had a shot here? Okay, okay. So I know, I know exactly where you're going. So there was... That's a, that should be on every golfer's tombstone. I thought I had a shot. Exactly. <laughs> so it was one was go... One was to go this way sort of towards the green but not really going to be on the green the other one was to go here and possibly have to hit it over a bunker so it wasn't it wasn't your garden variety choice of punch out into the fairway on lovely grass there's some challenge and i just went i think this is this is my best shot to go this way but sorry which way to go over the bunker no, to go towards the green. Okay, and it just it just needed to get past uh, a tree and branches and stuff, and um, yeah. and of course, um, you know, my club bottomed out before it wasn't a good strike and hit the tree and bounced further into the trees and I made a triple. So um, how'd that make you feel? Like you get a little buzzy when that happens. Yeah. Like, an, like an electric shock almost, right? Yeah, I was kind of like, oh, really? Um, <laughs> you know, I thought I was beyond that because I've been hanging out with GSL and learning about Decade and making yeah. choices and all this. So I went, okay, that happened. And uh, next hole, and ble- listeners, you don't need a cart. I'm not going to give you a hole by shot by shot, hole by hole here. Um, kind of a narrow par four hit like a, a, a six iron. I thought it was very prudent. Um, and uh, standing over the ball, and I, and I think there was a bit of electricity going through from the last hole. Well, this is your second shot after you laid up? This is my second shot. So you lay up with the six iron off the tee. Nice move. Okay. Yeah. And then I've got, uh, I think, the six iron in my hand again. Okay. So it's like and, a short uh, par four. Yeah. and there, But there's um, red stakes all along the left side. Not a lot of room on the right. It was, there was elements of this golf course that were tight. And left of left, pull hook, just a f- very feeble shot that right. got like about four feet off the ground. Sure. And I, that club went about six inches into the turf. Okay. And uh, so extracted it. <laughs> it off. It's, all, it's got all muddy now. Yeah, yeah. So and um, so from there, I, um, I I made another triple, and so there was two triples in a row. And um, so to be clear, everyone, at this point in the round, after seven holes, you've gone, uh, you know, from two over. over. Now you're eight over after seven. But here's where the movie gets good. <laughs> well, I just kind of like. Uh, we were in carts. It was a brutally hot day. Yeah. And I got to the tee, and I just, just kind of got out there. And, of course, you know, I drove very quickly <laughs> to the next tee. Wow. Get out. And I'm standing there, and I just went, you lost the thread, dude. I said, the thread is target. And, and it was so it was the thread was target, and it was also like you were afraid on those shots you were afraid and this and it was kind of like a bit of an epiphany moment of that's when your left of lefts happen when you're afraid and there's kind of like to my best effort 
to be in my body, to be present, to feel, just to do all those things in my process. I don't do a lot, not a lot of thinking. When I'm unconsciously gripped with fear, that's when I sort of zone out. Just the club goes kind of quick. Uh, and just a lot of really bad things happen. And the club, uh, the ball goes left of left. Well, let me just jump in, though, because, yeah. okay, now just for clarity. So it's uh, five holes, six, seven holes. Are you, are, are you on the eighth hole now or have you finished the front nine? This is because I think this is important for people. I think, to re- the, I think I'm on the s- I think I'm on the seventh tee at this stage. Well, no, because yeah, you were two over after five, six, seven were triples. I think two over after four. Okay. So I effed up. But after, after seven holes, you're eight over par. And um, I, I'm, I don't want to take apart whether, whether, you know, or yeah, a lot of lefts show up for a lot of reasons. But, and, you know, one of the things we talked about a couple of years ago is the idea that you can't, especially in tournament golf, you can't think of how while you're doing it. Exactly. You've really got to give up control, like Newtson said. You've got to give up control to gain control. But what I like, and again, not that we need a card for the story, but let's move it to the point where at this point in the round, most guys are like, see ya. Um, and I've been, I, and I told you in my notes to you following up, like I've been there, I've pressed too hard in qualifiers, and it just gets worse. But in your case, you had a bit of a moment. You gave yourself a talking to after you slammed your club in the ground, which I just fucking love. I love it so much. I just wish I was there. I would have cuddled you like a baby. Anyway, <laughs> so at this point, though, you have a bit of a head shake like a cartoon dog. Exactly. And, and you start again. And for the rest of the round, just describe kind of what happened. I, well, I became really just my intention was okay just be aware of your target and then just let this thing happen yeah it was just kind of like that and so I just really got in my process a little bit more this little exhale of breath thing and it really it was like a, a giving up of 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 any sense of I had that I had to do anything that I had to say fire my hips or do anything like that. If I was conscious of there's my target, just move slowly, allow it to happen, and right off that that first tee here, I hit a five iron, just perfect solid strike, draw right to that front of the green par, and then it just started to just get. Yeah, I just fell into this p- place of just feeling. The calm and easy, and I, I wasn't thinking about my score. It was just okay. That's the target. What's the prudent shot here? Okay, I was making very good decisions, and like I had a par five. I had one. It was about two two ten. Some bunkers in front, and I went. Well, my hybrid could get there. But you got to navigate those two bunkers. So I just said, I'll just hit a five iron, just short of them, and pitch on. And mm-hmm. I did. Yeah. Golf's so, easy. Good it's- decisions, which led to what you've, you know, which leads to you. When you're, when you're making good decisions, it lowers the temperature. Yeah. Well, so, it keeps your thermostat down. And, exactly. And, and what Tim just described, like, it's, it seems, you know, again, in decade, one of the things Fawcett said, it's an easy thing to understand. It's really hard to do. You know, you got 210. 
to fly some bunkers and get on a par five, and you totally could hit that shot. And if I was just dicking around with you, we'd both tried it. But but if in your in, in tournament play, or if you if you stand for the idea that you want to shoot the lowest score you can on every hole, well then you lay up with the five iron, you get on in three, you make a soft par, maybe it goes in for birdie. But what you don't make is six or worse. So the 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 net of the story is from the seventh or eighth hole on. O'Connor at that point was eight over par and let everyone know so eight over par it's a par 72 yep so eight over par is 80 and what was your final score 79 yeah man yeah brother appreciate that bitches here's some applause there you go (laughs) all right Wow, thank you, GSL. You laid it on really thick there. That Dude, was great. I love, well, because I love that. I mean, because here's the thing, the guy, the, the, the DNF guy, you could have been that guy after seven holes. I've seen it. I've been that guy. I've given up. You know, I, stepped, I kept playing, but I gave up. I had a story all written like, well, you know. The story. The story, like, right? Yeah, that, yeah exactly. I, I would have yeah. done great if only I had enough whatever, you know. But I was really proud of you, man. And I was really surprised because I talked to you, called me after the round. And um, I just basically, I said to you, you know, I've played in a lot of these in, in 30 years. And I said, I would be surprised if 79 doesn't get in. Now, 78 got in. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to, I don't want to chastise you. But if we could just go back to that point in the first triple <laughs> where you thought you had a shot, if we could have just made double. Exactly. Oh, totally, totally. But um, shite happens, <laughs> and part of the reason, part of the reason I'm playing in, you know, I started last year and this year accelerated it, playing in more tournaments, so that I can get more experience of what my uh, better players experience is, is dealing with tournaments and, and how, as you've talked about, it can be chaos. It is. And, it always and, is. And what. And how are we navigating our way through this chaos? Yep. And what's our awareness of what's happening? And but you said so, this, and I and I not that I quote you, but it's you know you and a lot of people. It's it's a chaos of our own design. There's it's only happening inside of our heads. It's not really happening. And and the story is you totally. like to say it's just a story that you're that you're making up as you go along. And and one of the things I fought hard against and I fight hard against is to not start the narrative too early. And that that used to happen to me because my oh, friend yeah. my friend Paul who is my also my coach and mentor, he's the guy that I break down every round with, you know, not most rounds I've golf, I talk to him after and we talk about some of the stuff that happened and what I found myself is in the round of golf already telling him, thinking of what I would tell Paul. And and so this year I said to him, listen, I'm not going to call you when the round's over. I'll call you a day later and we can talk about it. But I, I don't want to start creating a movie on the first or second or third hole, good or bad. Yep. Oh, Paulsy would love this. Or I did the right thing there. Oh, he'd be proud of me. You know what I mean? Like Because that's also bullshit. And it takes you away from what you're doing, which is playing... You know, I know I'm not the first person to say this, but golf is more like chess than it is like, you know, I don't know. I don't have the end of that analogy, but it's very much, it's more like chess than I ever would have 
understood until we took this seminar. Now, I've spent 20 million years, like you have, reading every book from Sam Jarman to uh, the, 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 the women from the Sweden to Carl Morris to Fred Schumacher. I've read them all. That, totally. I've read them all. But none of those books... And I didn't want to put Sam on the spot. None of them talk about the strategy of golf. Not like we're talking about it. And and they, they, they have great strategies how not to melt down during golf, which has helped me immensely. But I think there's a real, and not just because I'm a cultist on this decade thing. I think a lot about this. <laughs> the, the big missing piece is what we do when you and I go out and play nine holes together. That's golf. When we're, when we're talking about, okay, what's the shot here that gets you there? Because you're, you know, it's not your golf swing. I've said that to you now on the show, and I've said it to you in person. You could shoot 75 or, or better every day you play. It's not about your golf swing. You shot 79 after being eight over after seven holes. It's, that's some big boy shit, son. But, um, you know, breathing and all those things are great. But what we're, what we're not telling enough people is... You know, like, you know, what is, what are you trying to do out there? You know, I know, yeah, it's, exactly. I know, I, I know I sound like a, a fanatic, but I am a fanatic. Well, that's what, that's what, <laughs> that's what we love about you. And that's why we get into this game. It's, it's just like what Sam said. You, if you're going to play this game well and enjoy it, you are serious about the game. Yeah. Like you, you're, you become like my dad used to say, a student of the game, and that's what that's what you're doing with with decade, um, and that's what I'm doing with you know, you know, how many workshops have I been at or listened to with Fred Shoemaker? There was Wednesday night nine o'clock, which is usually my bedtime. Oh, I know. You know, so there I was listening to Fred taking like five pages of notes for God's sake, because um, you're serious I, about the game. Yeah, exactly, and and but it's kind of like a combination of of it, of my my desire to help my clients for sure, but also my desire for my own self understanding and my own because the more I can understand what's going on for me, Absolutely. the more I can understand what's going on with my clients. And, and, I'm, and, and I'm just going to say, I think the more I understand about how how the real game is played, the be- the more I understand how you know how the game of life is played because it's very analogous to me. And as I've gotten better as a golfer in, in playing golf, not swinging a golf club, I think is mirrored, you know, the equanimity in my life because prior to me stopping drinking, you want to talk about chaos. You know, I, I, I was so mercurial and I'm just less so now, not just as a golfer, but just as a regular guy, I just don't go off at the rate that I used to, because trust me, I did. I mean, why would it be any different in real life? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have so many. Totally. Dude, I have so many stories I've never told you about. You, know, you, you, think, you think I've got golf rage stories? I do this joke in my act about how a guy, <clears throat> excuse me, gave me the finger in front of the Sky Dome. This is how old this joke is, because they called it the Sky Dome. So I used to do this joke where I'd say, a guy, a guy gave me a finger in front of the Sky Dome, and I chased him all the way to Hamilton to tell him to fuck off. Now, that's not true, but I chased him a lot further than a normal person should, just so I could say, fuck you! I could say, I'm glad you're alive. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, so, and as Sam said, Sam Jarman, you know, as we go in life... You know, it's golf is no different. 
Absolutely. Um, I know I'm really proud of you, and I thought I meant that. I was really kind of surprised that that number didn't do it. Um, it was kind of a, it was a little bit shorter course, so yeah, it wasn't the longest course. So so guys were. Uh, um, it was the first qualifier that I'd been at that a guy shot under par. Yeah, I was surprised about that. I, I was talking about that with a, one of my decade buddies last night, Lou Stagner, and I said, because I was going through the course that I'm playing on Tuesday, my qualifier, and um, even though I've played the course before, I'm now going through it with, uh, as opposed to just going out there and playing it, I, I have a plan for every hole because I take it seriously. Because I want to give myself every chance I can to do well in that situation. My question to you as we finish off today, how does somebody, and I mean me, but how does somebody in general, and it's on Sam's uh, site, I'm going to read it. One of the hardest things to do, whether it's a presentation at your office or a webinar that you're giving or me doing stand-up or me playing tournament golf, what, what, what's, what's hard is when you want to do well on a certain day. And um, and I know that the, some of their you know answers are you know not focusing on the results and not focusing on the future. But what would you say to me? Because you know that my expectations are now higher. Uh, you know I'm, I'm in a different spot along the the journey than I was maybe when we started this podcast. Um, how do I mitigate you know making getting too excited? And overdoing the expectations. A couple things. One one thing is, I think that um, it's okay to be nervous, and and you could actually flip that. That when you're nervous and you have all this stuff going on in your body, that's a great thing. That means you're you're excited, and you're actually getting prepared, and that's a good thing. And to yeah. welcome that for no, one thing. No, let me just jump in. I'm I'm not talking. I'm not nervous. I'm excited no, no, about no. it. Okay, well, I just some of our listeners, when they're in moments like that, they get they get nervous about tournaments, or they sure. got to give the give the um, the production to the board or whatever. What I think is a good foundation is to know that, and it, is to know that everything you need, you already have. Mm-hmm. It's already there, and it's and in, in that you don't need to adopt. Uh, the latest tip that you got from someone about about delivering a killer presentation or here's what you need to do to hit it a bit farther. You've got everything you need already. And through just because you're now in the position, we'll, we'll, we'll stay with this about giving the presentation. The reason you're in the position to give the presentation is because you've done it before. Mm-hmm. And you've worked your way through and you've developed your awareness. You have your skill and your expertise. It's the same in golf. If you've qualified, say, to play in a championship, you've, you've played a lot of golf at a high level. And so you've earned your way to be there. The problem we run into is if we start to look at, geez, I need to get this result. I need to hit it out of the park with a presentation. I need to shoot a low score or I suck or I've failed. As soon as we go to that place, that's when we start. That's when the ego starts to go, and all of that. And so, if we just have the awareness of it, you know what? I've earned my spot to be here. And if I just—it sounds almost cliche and trite. If I just do the best I can, trust in myself and what got me here, I'll be fine. 
maybe I won't hit it out of the park. Maybe I maybe I, I won't shoot a low score, but I'll do the best I can for what I have that day. Mm-hmm. I love that, and, by the way. <clears throat> and, and really, that's the best I can do in anything. And I'm going to be a, a good human being, uh, regardless of whether I, you know, as an amateur golfer, whether I shot 74 that day or I shot 87. Uh, no, I love all that. And I appreciate you saying that. And I was hoping that... Uh you know, I, I, I concur um, when I say I'm not nervous. One, one, one of the reasons I'm so excited and different than any other. I've been playing these tournaments since uh, in my 30s. You know, I've played the Canadian amateur when I was 37 and I played Ontario amateurs and then mid amateurs and senior amateurs. But I've never felt like I feel now, which is I feel like I could contend. I've never felt that before. And so. As I said to Stagner last night, I said, you know, it's a very weird feeling and I've got to just keep myself. And what you just said is perfect. It's just I've got to keep myself reined in a little bit because I've got to I've got to do this before I can get to what I want to do, which is that. And Mm -hmm. and thinking about that, which is playing in the, the tournament again, because, you know, I always refresh your memory. Two years ago on the senior amateur, I finished 22nd with a triple and two, a quad and two triples, you know, which I wouldn't make now. And I was a quad and two triples over three rounds from finishing 10th. So my excitement now is I want to get back to this, but I have to go through this first. And if I don't get my head in the position, if I don't get myself feeling what you just said, which is just show up, do your best, and then see what happens. Trust the process and understand that I'm there feeling this way because I'm I'm playing very well. Mm-hmm. Not swinging that great. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I swing okay. You know, hit some good shots. But I'm playing very well. I'm smarting myself around the golf course. I know that's not a phrase. I just made it up. <laughs> I like that. I like that. We could, we could use I, that. We I could say that's that on what... one of our, our Swing Thoughts merch. <laughs> no, our new our T-shirt line that we're coming Smarting. up Smarting. But I do. I say that to myself sometimes when I lay up like that thing you described about laying up in the par five. What I say to myself when I do that, I go, smart golfer, smart, a smart golfer golfing. That's what I say to myself. Hey, smart golfer, way to be a smart golfer golfing. But I, uh, I, I'm being honest. Like I... You know, I, I want to get back to that tournament because I have a different feeling now mm-hmm. about my game. My game travels. It never used to, but it travels now. Yeah, well well said. And I think that what helps, I think, so just on that point, I think that players who, I mean, they always like the Lars Melanders of the world. Yep. You know, he shows up and Lars is going to contend or he'll be, he'll be pretty close. And there's other players who just wherever they go, they tend to tend to play well. And I think it's because they just play their own game. They 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 just are okay with themselves in in maybe not all parts of the life, but perhaps in most, but especially in golf. This is the way I swing it. This is what I, I get around here. I have what I need. Yes. And when we can draw on that, you see where I see that self interference happens is when we are looking outside of ourselves, when we're, it's, it's, when we're going to try and show up, like look a certain way or stand a certain way, or my swing needs to, to look a certain way, that's all external nonsense. It's our own, we have everything we need within us already. 
back to my uh, <laughs> my musk deer story <laughs> of our last story that uh, he put his uh, antler into his uh, not necessarily his orifice. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, I, I, I don't have time to tell you something similar happened to me because you won't believe it. But anyway, um, listen, I want just before we wrap up today, thanks to uh, um, I'm sorry, I don't have it in front of me. I just forgot his name. Oh, Sam Jarman. <laughs> uh, Sam yeah. Jarman Golf. Uh, check it out. Uh, O'ConnorGolf.ca. Humble and Fred show. Um, are you have you started watching or are you a fan or are you aware of the uh, show Ted Lasso? I'm aware of it, but I don't have the Apple uh, thingy that you need to yeah. get it. So uh, it's funny uh, in uh, Golf Digest's little email that comes out every day. They they talk that John Rahm. Yeah, I'm going well, to Yeah, I'm going to give you the quote in a second. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's really the most delightful show. I started watching. I don't have Apple TV either, but I got a buddy that pirated it for me, and I'm on season two. And I can tell you, I didn't know what it was going to be. I just thought it was going to be like an American making fun of all things British, but it's not. It's just it's like it's like a li- he's kind of like a little bit of a Forrest Gump, Mister Rogers. Yeah. He makes everyone else around him feel good. He's just got a beautiful philosophy. Here's a little. This is the Ted Lasso theme, and, and I'm bringing it up because of Rom. But I I know that quote from watching the show, and in, he's a, 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 a an American football coach. Who ends up coaching in a UK Premier League soccer team, football team called Richmond A, uh, Richmond AC or Richmond AF or something? Anyway, and and he inspires his players uh, without knowing anything about soccer. And so this was the Rom quote from yesterday, and he says, "You know what the happiest animal in the world is? It's a goldfish. It's got a ten second memory." be a goldfish (laughs) and i thought you know if there's anything if there's anything that applies to golf and i was so i was really stoked when i saw rom say that because that really is a the sort of quintessential sort of golf philosophy and i I gotta tell you uh, one of the reasons i was i hate to say proud of you because i hate when people say that impressed happy for you whatever you want to call it is because eight over after seven usually means you're going to shoot 87 but the fact that you shot 79 is because you were able to be a goldfish and just put it away. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've said it in a bunch of different ways, but, you know, if you can just play golf with sort of hope that, that it will turn around, then it will turn around. Because if, you, if, you were, if you're the DNF guy, you don't know. Here's the problem with DNF guys. He doesn't now, he still doesn't know how he's going to show up. He he hasn't got a he hasn't been there in the muck like you were, like you're in the muck, man. Triple triple, you're as they say in cooking shows, you're in the weeds. But now you know that you have you've built some myelin connective tissues in your brain that says, you know what, O'Connor, when the, when shit gets bad, I can still persevere. You know, when the waves are high, I'm still going to try and sail the boat. But mm. DNF guy. He just put his, he just let the oars list and, you know, the seas took him. And I guarantee you on the way home that day, I don't think he felt very, I know I didn't. I've been that guy. You don't feel very good about yourself. Well, I'll tell you, (laughs) on my way home, I had the uh, sound system on my Sonata 211 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, baby. I, I had all my I had all my fave smashing pumpkins going, and of course, the first tune I listened to coming out of the parking lot, Lagrange, ZZ Top. Yeah, baby. That's my. That's sort of like my celebration song. You're doing your little Snoopy dance. You called me. You were ecstatic. Um, <laughs> I, I wrote a friend of mine who's playing in a tournament this week out east. He's playing in the Canadian Tour event, and you know, had a sort of a mediocre first round. And he just said, uh, "Thanks." I said, "Hey, nice playing today." And he says, "Yeah." I need to, uh, you know, shoot 68 to make the cut. Golf's a fickle beast. And I said, golf is madness and bliss held together by chaos and hope. That's, that's on the T-shirt, my friend. Exactly. <laughs> madness and bliss held together by chaos and hope. Tim O'Connor, what a gift uh, to be in your presence as always. Uh, and everyone, thank you. Uh, thanks to uh, JW Apparel Inc. Timmy and I are wearing uh, the clothes. You should be too. Everyone thinks, hey, where'd you get that? Uh, it's Uncommon Golf uh, Apparel for the common man. As well, TaylorMadeGolf.ca. Go check it out to learn more about the all-new family of TaylorMade Golf equipment. And uh, we'll see you uh, next week. Actually, next week, Charles Fitzsimmons returns with oh, the to that. Neuro Peak Pro people uh, talking about lowering your brainwave activity. Oh, this is going to get super geeky. Lowering your brainwave activity to play better golf. Yeah, man. That's who we are. We'll see you next time. Competition in other places. But the horns.